Remember the phrase, won't you be my neighbor? Now, some of you may be old enough to remember when you actually heard that on TV. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Everyone needs a helping hand now and then. So are you eager to help or will people remember you as a taker? Maury, the character from Tuesdays with Maury, said giving reminded him that he was still living. So here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Can I get a job when I get out of prison? Are there indicators now about what kind of person I'll be in retirement? Somebody asked Dan if you had the opportunity to advise a 19-year-old whose personality was identical to the personality style of Mr. Rogers, what career path would you recommend to that 19-year-old? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. So there you got the setup. We got some important things to discuss today. Your questions always prompt me to dig deep. And more and more, you know, you ask questions that really do help us look at the important things in life. We appreciate those. Keep sending those in. Shoot those in. Just go to... 48days.com slash askdan. You can send them in there. Now, our quotation today then comes from Mr. Rogers, who said, in a way, you've already won in this world because you're the only one who can be you. Just one of his gentle kind of encouragements to people. Now, Mr. Rogers died in 2003, so that's nearly 20 years ago. The show, Mr. Rogers, some of you remember that. Some of you probably weren't around when that was on. That show ran from 1968 to 2001. It was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A lot of great principles from that. Of course, there was a, a movie done, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, not that long ago, which reminded us of some of the principles there. But we're going to draw from that a little bit. So we go through some of the questions today. Our resource for today is... How do you find out more about your personality style, your strengths, your weaknesses? That's really important. We're going to dig into just one style and really kind of unpack it today together. But if you go to 48days.com slash you, just real simple, 48days.com slash you, we've got some resources there to help you dig in to understand your personality a little bit better. Now, a couple things about the workplace. I mean, last week we had a question from somebody who really wanted to do virtual work, but she knew all the virtual work opportunities were scams. Well, I debated that then, as I will again. There's more and more opportunities for people to work from home. Wow. I mean, this group, actually, at this point, there's 38%, we're told, of the labor force participation is from people who are working at home. We've never had that kind of number before. But more and more people are discovering that, uh, wow, they really love the opportunity. Companies are discovering. It helps them save on water from the water cooler, snacks in the refrigerator, desk, tables, computers. They allow people to work from home. 
Now, the one of the things that it's doing is allowing opportunities for people who have disabilities, people who would struggle with a regular work position where they have to get in a car and drive somewhere and go up the stairs or up the elevator, you know, sit at a desk all day. Well, it's opening up a big labor pool for companies by allowing people who would have difficulty coming to work to work. So again, some of the resources I gave last week, I mean, there's tons of opportunities for people to work from home. Now, another thing where there's an opportunity to work where it used to be kind of a challenge is for people who are getting out of prison, people who were formerly incarcerated. We know there's a national labor shortage. I mean, the Wall Street Journal just had an article about this. There's a desperate labor shortage. I mean, you see the signs everywhere you go. Companies are hiring. So there are 70 million plus Americans with arrest or conviction records. And 600,000 people are released from prison each year. Now think about the numbers there. That's a whole lot of people. So finding a stable job, I mean, that's one of the big things that keeps people from going back to prison again. But Traditionally, the doors have been kind of closed. I mean, Joy and my wife has worked a lot with women coming out of prison, and there's a whole lot of obstacles. Nobody will rent to them. Nobody will sell them a car. Nobody will give them a job. I mean, there's, that's why they go back to prison, so many of them. But if we break some of those barriers, we can maybe give people a fresh start, a second chance, and that's what this really is, is all about, second chance hiring. That's a term that's being used, and it's because – Companies are more open to people who have had some kind of a a prison record. You know, right now, I mean, the hot topic out there is President Biden is um, considering, you know, giving a reprieve to everybody who's in prison because of some marijuana conviction. Now that the marijuana laws have changed so much, I mean, my gosh, what if somebody, you know, smoked a joint and they're in prison for 20 years? Yeah, maybe we ought to take a fresh look at that. So a lot of people will be coming out of prison. And yes, they do have some kind of a record, but, um, if we found in our own experience, my goodness, those people are some of the most excited, loyal people, and companies are finding that. I mean, the, the turnover rate is much lower when somebody came out of prison because they know they don't have as many chances out there, as many companies are going to consider them. So companies are saying, hey, come on down. You know, we'll, there, there are companies that do nothing but hire ex-felons, ex-cons. Restaurants. There's a restaurant, God, I think it was in Atlanta I read about recently that hires nothing but people who were formerly in prison. So giving them a chance, they're loyal because they know somebody gave them a chance. A lot of things are changing there. Well, that's a sign of the times and a good one because uh, people are seeing new opportunities. Companies are seeing new ways to include people. Now, David asked this question. He says, Dan, in your podcast, an email, you mentioned Mr. Rogers. Here's an interesting hypothetical to consider. If you had the opportunity to advise a 19-year-old person, and if information was provided to you showing that the personality style of the 19-year-old was identical to the personality style of Mr. Rogers, then what career path would you recommend to the 19-year-old? Thanks for your time, Dave. Well, thanks for your question, Dave. I love the setup. Now, You hear me talk a lot about the importance of knowing yourself well. Know thyself and to thine own self be true, then thou canst not be false to any man. The old Shakespeare saying that we often use. 
And I talk in 48 Days to the Work You Love, I say 85% of the process of having the confidence of proper direction in your career or business comes from looking inward, not from looking outward and saying, here's an opportunity. Gee, I've got Uncle Harry who works down here and I'm going to do the same thing. Or I know somebody who's killing it on you know, by doing fulfilled by Amazon. You know, they're using arbitrage, they're buying things and then reselling them. You know, those are opportunities for artificial solutions where you have a short term solution and end up being frustrated because it's not a proper fit. 85% is that take a deep breath, look inward first. The more you know about yourself, the more you can have the confidence of moving in the proper direction for work that fits you. So let's just do this. Let's take Mr. Rogers. So we're going to use him as an example, and we're going to use him as an example of one personality style on the DISC. That's D-I-S-C. That's what we use a lot. We'll put a link to getting your own report in the show notes for today, DISC, but that stands for Dominance, Influencing, Steadiness, Compliance. No right or wrong, good or bad about any of those, but if you know what you are, then you can operate in that, find an environment that embraces what you know about yourself. So what was Mr. Rogers, the personality? In the DISC, D, again, dominant, somebody who's real aggressive, opinionated, outgoing. Well, that probably wasn't Mr. Rogers. Somebody who's a high I, somebody real social, gregarious. They break the silence in the elevator. They love parties. Yeah, again, not Mr. Rogers. I'm going to jump one. Go to C, somebody who's real analytical, detailed, you know, works in seclusion pretty well. Well, probably some of those traits in Mr. Rogers, but he is a solidly a high S, a high S. I mean, this is somebody who is likely introverted. I mean, somebody um, who is, well, here's some of the characteristics that would describe a high S. It is steady, that's the word, but somebody who's accepting, caring, Supportive, pleasant, sincere, loyal, warm, reliable, careful, emotional, patient, calm, stable, amiable. I mean, those are some of the indicators. And he was clearly that. That was Mr. Rogers. So does that mean there are fewer opportunities if you are a high S? No. My goodness, I mean, there are wonderful people out there that you and I both know who are ISs. My wife is a high S. Now, she has a lot of I, that outgoing personality as well, but her real core is S. She wants to help everybody. She cares about anybody who's hurting, anybody who's in need. Now, Mr. Rogers was an obvious, we would call an empath, you know, somebody who has a lot of empathy. They feel the emotions of other people. You know, the want to be in a profession where they can help the vulnerable and less fortunate. So in Mr. Rogers' case, I mean, his empathy drew him to a career centered around helping children. I mean, his favorite catchphrase was, you were a child once. And that kind of illustrates how he thought, what he wanted to do. He wanted, he wanted everybody to remember how it felt to be a child. And then he used that knowledge to lead with compassion and, and gentleness. He was single-minded in his mission. I mean, you really tend to know what you're, what you want to devote your life to. And a lot of times that's something that is noble or higher calling or a way to make the world a better place. Those are the characteristics we often see in somebody who's a high 
S like that. Mr. Rogers put the needs of others above his own. I mean, one of the greatest gifts and, and struggles, perhaps, of the Havahayas is their devotion to the well-being of other, others. I mean, Joanne and I have had a lot of those conversations where I think she's helping somebody too much. And she knows her tendency to enable is one of her terms that she uses, where she will take over and make it easy for somebody to stay in their weakness or not work through a tough thing they need to go through in their own life. So that is one of the things that they deal with. Uh, Mr. Rogers was known for giving his time, his prayers, a listening ear to anybody who needed it. And, and that would, you know, when, when he finished his work day, he was exhausted. I mean, people who knew him well, who worked around him, recognized, boy, when he was finished, he was finished. He was often exhausted. But when you have that kind of a mission to help other people, you know, your work is never done. You somehow have to put boundaries around it so you can recharge yourself. He tended to be kind of an overthinker. He'd get on one thing and just really try to analyze. I mean, he, he struggled over whether to announce his show's weekly theme as little and big or big and little. Just something like that. He'd spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Uh, Mr. Rogers didn't particularly like the spotlight. Now, he was famous, but he always would deflect the attention. Here's an example. Instead of soaking up the glory, he used a spotlight to reinforce what he cared about. When he got an Emmy for his Lifetime Achievement Award, instead of talking about himself, he asked the audience to do something that you don't often hear a celebrity do. He said, all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are? 10 seconds of silence. And he did that. Instead of just drawing attention to himself and all the wonderful things he had done, like celebrities usually do when they accept a big award like that, he asked people to take 10 seconds and think about who has helped you along the way to become who you are. Well, we would consider him an introvert, although he was very connected to people. Uh, There's a lot of evidence that he was an introvert. He had a very strict routine, which allowed him a lot of alone time and quiet time, especially in the morning. Mr. Rogers always started his day with prayer and study and answering letters. And then he swam laps before going into the studio. On the afternoon, he always took a nap and then went to bed by 930. So for somebody like Mr. Rogers, They like that kind of a routine. It's a way of coping with the demands that are out there that sometimes can feel kind of overwhelming. But they create routines so they can kind of tolerate that okay. And, of course, Mr. Rogers loved deep conversations, and he loved those deep, intimate, piercing kind of conversations in his interactions with people. So kind of just to summarize here, again, we're looking at one particular personality style, but this is so helpful. And you ought to know what your personality style is and know this much about it. Then it's easy to identify the environments where you're going to be comfortable, whether it's uh, to go to a party or not, you know, to read a particular book or not, you know, what kind of work environment you want to be in. It's going to influence, you know, where you go to church. It's going to influence a whole lot of things. So the S personality traits include 
the ability to listen patiently to the needs and requests of others, to work really in cooperation with others, to be uncomfortable around aggressive or hostile people. Uh, They tend to avoid competitive situations. They want a leader that they can trust. So now, David, having set the stage for that, what kind of jobs or careers are going to be an appropriate fit for this 19-year-old who is just like Mr. Rogers? Real easy to come up with a list. Now, certainly there's not going to be one thing, and the 19-year-old is still going to have to explore a variety of things to then fine-tune into one choice, but it's going to be something like human resources director, a therapist or counselor, an executive assistant, you know, somebody in customer support. It could be a physician, a pediatrician. We think how easy it would have been for Mr. Rogers to be a pediatrician. It could be a nurse, dental hygienist, a dentist, an accountant, pharmacist, service technician. I mean, we could go on. There's a lot of things there. Now, again, if we look back at Mr. Rogers, I mean, he had a pretty difficult childhood, we're told. He was shy, introverted, overweight. He frequently was homebound after suffering bouts of asthma. He was bullied as a child for his weight. He was often called Fat Freddy. He was pretty lonely in his childhood. He had a ventriloquist dummy that he played with. He played with his own stuffed animals primarily rather than the other kids. Now, he did kind of come out of that when he went to high school. He made a couple friends there who found out that he was an okay guy. And he ultimately became president of the student council member of the National Honor Society, editor-in-chief of the school yearbook. Then he went to Dartmouth College for one year before transferring to Rollins College. That was in Winter Park, Florida, where he graduated magna cum laude with a Bachelor of Music degree. Then he went on to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, got a Bachelor of Divinity degree, was ordained as a minister. But his whole life was one of you know giving, serving, caring, for other people. He chose, obviously, after going to seminary, rather than being pastor of a church, he chose to minister to children and their families, and then found television was a magnificent tool to expand his reach in doing just that. He was a peacekeeper, sincere, dependable. So knowing a 19-year-old, you could talk about these things, talk about the ways that we validate who we are, rather than feeling the pressure. Well, gee, no, you need to be more assertive. You need to be more outgoing. You need to be more extroverted. No, not at all. You can be introverted and shy and find a very, very proper and exciting fit for who you are. Now, you know, I, I cringe sometimes when, when we look at just titles, career options for people based on their personality style, what we know about them, because it usually comes right from the Dictionary of Occupational Titles, which has very traditional opportunities in there. As you know, I like the entrepreneurial world. I like things that are not as predictable, not as traditional, not as secure, I'm sure, but uh, that's me. Does that mean that in order to be an entrepreneur, you need to be, you know, that hard driving, outgoing, extroverted kind of person? Not at all. You can be any personality style and still be extremely successful as an entrepreneur, again, if you understand yourself. So one of the things that I mentioned in there in a list of occupations was dentist. 
Now, there's a gentleman I know. His name is Dr. Rick Workman. He is a dentist. He started as a dentist in Effingham, Illinois. That's a place there. But he understood, he recognized that a lot of dentists are really good as clinicians. They really know what they're doing when they're looking in somebody's mouth. But they're not really good business managers. So he put together a process whereby he would buy a dental practice allow that dentist there to continue working as a clinician, but he'd run the back end. He'd run the business of that dental practice. Now, that's been a model that's worked pretty well for him. So again, as a dentist, he is a quiet guy. He's not somebody who likes being on stage or being in front of people. But they now have over 1,600 locations for Heartland Dental. Back in April, there was an equity company that purchased a part of that business. And that company, Rick Workman's Heartland Dental, was valued at $2.8 billion. So he's doing pretty well as an entrepreneur, even though he's a high S. And some other celebrities you would probably recognize as high S's are like David Beckham, soccer superstar. He's clearly a high S. But he you know, to, to be as successful as he has been, a person really has to be steady and stable like he is. But he's always supportive and sincere. I mean, all those things are, allow us to clearly recognize him as a high S. But he's a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. He supported a whole lot of charities, the African Wildlife Foundation, Malaria No More, Mothers to Mothers, Peace One Day, Red Cross, Save the Children, Save the Elephants, Sport Relief. I mean, he's very active in supporting nonprofits. Other people, Prince, the singer, I mean, he was a high S. I mean, you look at how uncomfortable he was being in the, the limelight. You know, he spent most of his time alone. Then he'd come up with some incredible song, you know, Purple Rain or whatever it is. I watched a version of Purple Rain the other day. Actually, I, I was reminded of it because our the instructor in my spin class often uses Purple Rain. As a matter of fact, in yesterday's class, she asked for suggestions, and I mentioned that again, Purple Rain. I love that when we're doing spin class. There's one version of that that's 16 minutes long. It's actually 16 minutes and 38 seconds long. But uh, anyway, Prince was a high S. Taylor Swift, a high S. Then people like Mother Teresa, of course, Mahatma Gandhi, Peyton Manning, high S. Michael Fox. I-S. So there's no limit to what you can do, whether it's in a traditional job or if it is in something where you want to take the reins, you can still have something that you do yourself. If we're talking about something where you're selling, and again, we tend to think, well, you have to be that outgoing, aggressive kind of person to sell. No, you don't. Not at all. You can be very, very gentle, supportive, kind behind the scenes. Reminds me of... um, Justin Janowski, who is such a masterful trainer in selling in a very gentle, compassionate way, where you know you want to help the other person live the best life they can. I mean, you are helping the other person. You're loving them well by selling, not manipulating, taking advantage of them at all. So if you are in sales and you're a high S, instead of being cars, furniture, jewelry, something like that, that tends to be that one time, hey, do you want it or don't you? No. What if you were selling and you were selling MRI machines? 
Well, you know, you don't just go into a neighborhood and knock on doors. They're not candidates. Not at all. It's going to be the purchasing agents for medical facilities. So they're likely to be people much like you are, people who are very thoughtful behind the scenes, are good with numbers, organization systems. So you make a proposal, you contact them. It's no surprise when you show up. They know they're candidates for the product you have, an MRI machine. You present to them. They take six months and then make a decision. I mean, that's a very, very logical fit for somebody who's a high S and you can make $200,000 a year as a salesperson because you magnify what it is you do well, what you know about yourself. Well, Hey, let's move on here. Got a couple other things I want to cover, but that's an important kind of framework. I love the setup there, David. I I hope that's helpful. And any of you listening, no matter what it is, now if you're a high S, hopefully you got some pointers for yourself out of that. If you're not, check out your own personality style. What is it that would be that clearly a fit for you? I mean, the reason I love my work so much is because I know Dan Miller inside and out. I know what makes him tick. I know how he thinks, what he loves, what his passions are, what his talents are. And because of that, it's easy for me to identify things that fit me or not. It's easy for me to say no to a lot of opportunities that come along because I know it's not a fit for me. Not that it's not a good opportunity, not that it's going to serve as somebody else well, and I hope it does, but it just doesn't fit me. But it makes that process really, really easy. Again, go to our resource today to check that out. Go to 48days.com slash you, and you can get more information about what it is that's going to fit you. And so, okay, I already, I out-talked the the music there, the music brief that uh, I'd usually put up when I'm going to just remind people that these are questions coming from real people out there. If you want to submit a question, just go to 48days.com slash askdan, and you can submit your question there. Now, as you know, there was a hurricane recently, a devastating hurricane. It's been two weeks now since that hit here in Florida, in the area where I am on the Gulf side, uh, down from Sarasota. But uh, the devastation is just indescribable. It continues. One of the things out of that, being a car guy, you know, I know that there was a whole lot of cars that got flooded. Now, Carfax estimates that the wind and water damage from Hurricane Ian, potentially damaged as many as 358,000 vehicles. Now, unfortunately, we know a lot of those vehicles are going to show up around the country as really nice cars. I mean, they, they have varying amounts of damage, but if a car was not totally submersed, it can be totaled, it can be salvaged, have a salvaged title, but it can also be moved around the country and a lot of states will retitle a car where it doesn't show that history. Now, I mentioned that I'm not going to go into the deep details here. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with this process and know how to research and find out. But, you know, this is just a time where there's an opportunity to help people and there's an opportunity to take advantage of people. There are a lot of storm chasers in our area right now. There are people all over just flooding the streets because they will roof your house. They repair the windows. They'll do repair the screens in your pool cage. They'll trim your trees, take trees away. 
And there's a whole lot of opportunity for good companies to make money. And there's a whole lot of opportunities for scammers to take advantage of people who don't really know what they're dealing with. It's things that we don't deal with every day. There's a lot of ways to take advantage of that. This is a time for giving. This is a time for helping each other. Now, there's always things that happen in our lives. I mean, for anybody, there are times where we do need help. And there are opportunities for us to help others. You know, the the club here where we live, we live in a, a community where there's about 350 homes. And uh, we have a lot of really nice amenities here. One of those being a club where there's multiple restaurants in there. So we got a note just a few days ago from our board of governors that said, you know, Hurricane Ian was a devastating storm for our area. Although most of our fellow Oaks members were spared from its worst impacts, and, and we were, you know, there's not, there's a lot of trees down here in our community, but houses weren't damaged for the most part. But it says those just a little south of us were not so fortunate. Our Oaks Club has many employees who live in the Northport area, the center of devastation you see repeatedly on TV news coverage. That's, that's really, that's about 10 miles south of where we are that really got hit hard. And it says some have lost their cars, have severely damaged homes, or are without food and water. Their lives have been devastated. The schools are closed. They have no daycare. About 12 to 15 of our staff have been severely impacted by this event, and many others are experiencing financial hardship. So what they did, they just gently asked. They said, we'd like to raise $30,000 to help those employees as needed. Of course, we're seeking these contributions on a voluntary basis and goes on. You know, there's certainly no obligation. Nobody will know. But if you want to donate, you can. Now, it's interesting. The night that we got this notice, we happen to have some other people who live here in our community here at our house for dinner. We mentioned this. And they immediately said, oh, no, you know, that's ridiculous. The club has lots of money. They have resources for these people. We don't need, you know, that's ridiculous that they're asking us to give when we pay our membership dues and all that. Well, Joanna and I talked about it later that evening, and we took a much different approach. These are, for the most part, young people, people that we know, people that are grateful for their jobs here and provide amazing service for us. We care about them. We have personal relationships with them, and we decided that we would give. So we did. Well, yesterday, we got a note from the club that says, Dear Members and Associates. Now, again, they wanted to raise $30,000 to help out these employees that needed it. They said, We have raised more than $141,000 from over 300 members for our Oaks Employee Disaster Relief Fund. I mean, I just wanted to weep when I read that. I thought, I am so thrilled that we live in a community where that is the majority response rather than what I just described to you. Yeah, there's money available. Yes, the club has money. But the way they frame this, you know, we have an opportunity to help people who are really hit hard. Wow. Just, um, and you know, the response to that, I think, says a lot about us as people. In, in the book, Tuesdays with Maury, Maury, you know, was this older gentleman, had ALS, he was dying. Mitch Album was the author who captured, he had spent eight, 18 
Tuesdays with Maury, where he wrote all these principles he learned from this gentle old man. And Maury says, taking just makes me feel like I'm dying. Giving makes me feel like I'm living. You see, I think our attitude about generosity, our attitude about giving defines how old we are more than our chronological age does. You know, over this last weekend, I was in Grapevine, Texas for Rock Retirement Roundup. Now, some of you listening were there as well. I know you're regular listeners. It's the organization, that the community that Roger Whitney, who's uh, in my mastermind, but very active in our Eagles community as well, he heads that up, Rock Retirement. And they had a roundup, had a couple hundred people there. And one of the questions asked was, what do you see in retirement? And there were responses from people. I'm lonely. I still don't know my purpose. One lady said, I've spent the first few months of retirement depressed. Then we had speakers coming in. One of the speakers was Joe Saul Sehe, who is the host of Stacking Benjamins podcast, a really popular podcast, Stacking Benjamins. He said, gratitude is more important than money. Now, again, keep in mind, this was a conference where we were talking about retirement, how to manage your money well to last you through retirement. It was based on you know finances, the finances, the finances of going into retirement. And he says, no, gratitude is more important than money. He says there's a connection between gratitude and a rich life. I love that. There's a connection between gratitude and a rich life. I want you to remember that. I want that to be the takeaway for today. There's a connection between gratitude, I can't say it, there's a connection between gratitude and a rich life. I really think there is. I think being generous, helping others, is a way to keep ourselves fully alive. You know, there's a song, Mumford and Sons, probably you would recognize it. It's their very, very popular song, Awake My Soul. That says, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. And where you invest your love, you invest your life. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Isn't that a cool, a cool kind of phrase? Hey, I think it is. I want you to identify where you invest in your love. That's where you invest in your life. And look at your own connection between gratitude and a rich life. Be generous. Be caring about people in times like these. And there's always times like these. That's an old, worn-out adage for sure. But there's always times like these. There's always opportunities to to help and to care. So I loved kind of leaning into Mr. Rogers. He was certainly a person who did care. He was generous. I think it's a great example. But you don't have to make yourself like Mr. Rogers if you have those personality characteristics. There's plenty of opportunities. If you happen to be wired a little bit differently, that's okay too. Plenty of opportunities for that as well. So, hey, we're going to wrap it up with that. Be back next week with more questions from you. Again, shoot those into me. Just go to 48days.com slash askdan. You can leave them there, but thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in those questions. Thanks for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. Thanks for being a person who does care, who's generous, who's concerned about others, no matter what your personality style. I mean, there's no excuse for not doing those things, no matter how you're wired. You don't have to be that calm, gentle, loyal, compassionate-ass personality, no matter what your personality style. Those are still things you can model. Learn how to do that well. So share this episode. Some friends who need to hear it, who are also committed to personal growth. 
be that person who is positive, somebody who offers hope and encouragement to others. Stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that's meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.